All right, welcome back to Word Seats in the House. Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta, coming to you from Elsie's. Our next live show is November 2nd at Split Rocks, Brianne. November 2nd, Split Rocks. We're actually going to do three live shows in the month of November, so pay attention to those dates. But November 2nd, our next live show at Split Rocks. But welcome to Elsie's. Word Seats in the House. Thanks to all our sponsors. Thanks to Grain Belt back there. We're going to do a raffle at the end of the show. Two for ones tonight um, on any Grain Belt beer. And then if you also ask question uh, during the show, you get a raffle ticket, and we'll do the raffle at the end. So if you buy beer, go back to the back, get some tickets, and then same thing, ask questions. Um, well, Anthony, a week ago we did a podcast, and it was so cheery and optimistic about this upcoming year and the goaltending. They look great in the preseason, and, man, they look like they're going to be defensively sound. And, well, their penalty kill is going to be much better. Welp, uh, they're 0-3. You're Minnesota Wild, 0-3, Anthony. Explain. Well, it's not my Minnesota Wild, but they are know. they are zero and three. You and fly the team plane. I do, and the and the goaltending hasn't been good enough, without a doubt. And it, to be honest, it was a, a concern coming into the season for me. That's what when we talked yeah. last week. That's what we're how we left the podcast. But it isn't going to be as bad as it's been. I mean, they're at eighty two percent. They're they're not. They aren't going to finish the season at eighty-two percent. Mm-hmm. And I thought the game they played against Colorado the other last night it would be Wednesday night, uh, whatever night it was, Monday night. the The game looked like wild hockey, and they had a couple bad bounces. And when things are going poorly, the bounces seem to go against you. A couple high deflections that were bizarre. And there are always times, though, when things are going well, you see little cracks before things start to go upside down and you say, all right, they're finding ways to win, but this is wrong and this is wrong and this is worthy of concern. And the same is true when you're in a losing streak. Sometimes you have to see the game change first and then it, it might take another game before you get the result. I think we might be seeing that. I think the way they played against Colorado on Monday night, they play like that every night all season. This team's going to be just fine. They have to get goaltending. You have yeah. to get a save. And there have been a couple games where a couple times within these games where the game was a little loose, but they had fought their way back in, and that was the moment you needed a save to keep the deficit at one or to keep the game even, and they just didn't get it. Yeah, I agree with you. And that, to me, was the most, uh, to take the pessimistic view on what you just said, what concerned me about last night's game is that they played well enough to win that game 3-1. And uh, bad goals and um, inexcusable goals, and uh, and they and they lose by three and and I just what, what concerns me I was talking about this with West Walls between periods during the first intermission is that we've and you and I have both seen it with this team a lot is that when they don't rely when they don't have confidence in their goaltender and they're playing stretches of good hockey and still lose this team suddenly has a deterioration of their game and um, and last night I think we saw it you know Eric Snack taking a undisciplined penalty after feeling like he was you know, tripped before, um, you know, the four on the, the, the too many men on the four on four. I mean, that is just insane to me. It and was that, weird. And, I didn't go back. Did you watch it? Yeah, I, did and you I'll go back you, and watch I, I it? I tweeted exactly what happened at the time. It's so, you know, like, this is what I think happened. And I don't want to blame Matt Boldy for a mistake clearly by Dean Evison. But when Matt Boldy skated that puck out of the zone, he lost his train of thought or whatever of the situation. He skated out of the zone like they drew a delayed penalty on a five-on-five. So he gets the puck at the blue line, and instead of just giving the puck up for a long four-on-three, he skates the puck out of the zone, does an entire reset, and comes back in. And by that point, you know, Dean's doing a thousand things on the bench. He's getting four-on-fours ready. And I guarantee you, like, when he came out of the zone, I'm like, what is he doing? And I started counting bodies to make sure that I was right that they were on a four-on-four. And I think Dean, when he did that, it's like, oh, well, we must be on a five-on-five. And he sent, and he, when he saw only five players out there as the extra attacker, he sent the sixth. And I just think that Matt Boldy made a mental mistake there, um, you know, just thinking that he was playing it like it was a five-on-five, not a four-on-four, where they could have had him at a minute four-on-three, down a goal, and then next thing you know, they just screw everything up. And, and so I, I looked at the replay um, a couple times, and the Wild had, I've never seen a too many men where you send two extra guys on the ice. Well, they had one because yeah. of the delayed with the goaltender pulled. But right, they, right. the second guy was on the ice for like 10 seconds. Yeah. And it was not a, it wasn't a change. It was 
they just had another guy jump over the bench. And I didn't notice it at first. I noticed it when Erickson Eck bolted back for the bench. And all of a sudden I looked and I thought, well, that's strange. He's going for a change. And I started yeah. looking. I was like, whoa, whoa, they have too many guys on the ice. Yeah. So it it was – those I, are the I looked, kind of I, things, I, I, though, that yeah. just happen yeah. when things aren't going great. Yeah. And it's a mistake that is – it's unforgivable. Well, it's not. I shouldn't say unforgivable, but it's a mistake. It's hard to overcome. Yeah. I looked at the GM's booth when that happened, and they all just, like, everybody in there just, like, sto- like stood up, looked at the replay. Like, they were they were ticked because this is the team right now, when you're getting goaltending like this, you just can't afford those type of mistakes. And, and you know, the old when it rains, it pours uh, theory. Uh, I mean, that first goal that Ben Meyer scored, I mean, that was a Devin Dubnik type fluky goal. And um, well, they had two of those. They had two high tips that yeah. were like shoulder level tips. But the first one was bizarre because <laughs> Gustafson like, never. It was as if he wasn't even playing the same game. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the puck popped up yeah. in the air, and he never moved. Yeah, so it looked he, like a glitch never, in a uh, in like a you know a game like a like a NHL twenty three or something. Right, and never moved. Yeah. So though, and those are the kind of goals that just seem to go in when things aren't going yeah. well, and. It, I just don't think you can overreact to three games. It's three games, it's three losses. If you lost three in a row in the middle of the season, you probably aren't, you certainly aren't in panic mode, but especially if the three in a row happen to include a game against the Rangers, who might be the best team in the East, a game against the Avs, who might be the best team in the West, there's a lot of teams that are going to lose three in a row if they face those two teams among them. Yeah. The problem is, that you've allowed 20 goals in the process exactly. of losing the three. And that's that's where the concern lies. And but there, and to me, have, the concern was the first two games, yeah. the game didn't look right. Monday night, the game looked right. The goaltending just wasn't. The, the the question I have is behind the scenes, what is Bill Guerin really thinking? And hopefully we'll get him in the next little bit here. Um, but is is he starting to, you know, like a lot of times, you know, when you're thinking that your coach is going to be on the hot seat. You start, you know, you, in your GM's office, you get a pad of paper and start da- writing down uh, coaches. Is he starting to do that with goalies? Are they behind the scenes now starting to say, are, are identifying any goalies that they can maybe go out and try to tr- create a Devin Dubnik type of situation that we saw in 2014 or wh- whatever that year was, 14 or 15, um, where, you know, can you go and acquire, you know, a James Reimer and all of a sudden, he becomes that guy that can save save the day. The problem is, you just have you know you just traded Cam Talbot for Philip Gustafson, thinking that you're that he was going to be your backup to sort of buy time for Wallstadt. And then you gave the two year deal to Flurry. If you do that right away, you're showing you have no faith in either of them. That seems to be way way premature to do something like that. But it sure to me seems like they are in a mode right now where they've got to at least start to identify what are we going to do if we have to save the day here. I'm sure they're thinking about what ifs, but it's not time to make that pull the trigger on that mm-hmm. yet. Mark Andre Fleury's made once he's made two starts, played four periods, mm-hmm. and this is a guy who's won over 500 games in this league. I don't think after four periods you say, "Oh, he clearly doesn't have yeah. it anymore." You have to wait and see what happens. But I'm sure they are at least exploring, and any general manager would be doing that at this point to say, "Let's at least start to think about." what the solution might be if this turns out to be a problem. And my guess would be that was done before this season ever started. There was a reason why when they had this extra cap space, they didn't pull the trigger right away on, let's okay, let's upgrade someplace else. I think part of it was what they saw in camp led them to believe that the depth players were going to be just fine up front and therefore he didn't have to make a knee-jerk type move to add a scoring forward. I think they thought the defensemen were close enough where if somebody went down, they might have a guy ready in Iowa. So why not just hang out of that cash? And I'm certain that at that time they were starting to look around that if we don't have to use this to acquire a forward or a defenseman, what would this extra cap space get us in between the pipes? And I don't doubt for a minute that those discussions have taken place, probably took place before the season, just in an exploratory, exploratory nature and maybe it accelerates a little bit now, but I'd be shocked if we saw any kind of a, of a deal made any time in the next couple of weeks. This, is, this would have to be a 10, 12, 15-game problem before I think you'd see a move. Yeah, well, they're on pace for giving up like 550 goals uh, so far this season. So you're going to uh, get your road goal call uh, uh, 
you know. Well, they're also on pace to score about 350, so, you know, that would be a record. Well, that's the other issue is, like, you know, you can't expect to score a touchdown every single night and lose. And that, that's there's no way to outscore their problems with the type of goaltending that they're getting. And, obviously, it's not just all um, the goalies. Their, their defense has not been very good. Their penalty kill continues to struggle. The power play has been lights out. They're scoring goals um, and things like that. Kaprizov looks great. Um couple guys don't look good, though, right now. Um, you know, one, Ryan Hartman, I thought he got back to looking like his old self last night, had a bunch of scoring chances. Um, but, um, you know, his first two games, uh, you know, you could also see where he's, where Dean Everson has gotten through to him to stop, stop taking the, the on-ice penalties that he doesn't like. But So now he's resorting to holding guys' sticks from, from the bench and things like that. Uh, but they, they need him to, to play a better brand of hockey, and I, hopefully last night was a start, Anthony. I agree. I don't. They don't need him to score 34 goals again. It would be nice if he did, but he played a rugged game last year, an under the skin of the opponent's game. Always walks the line of, and oftentimes crossed it. But you can tell there's frustration in his game right now, mm-hmm. and it's three games though. So there were three game stretches where everybody was bad over the course of 82. It just so happens they've had a couple key guys that have not looked great. In these three, and Hartman's one guy though. They they need him to to bring something similar to what he brought last year in terms of the overall game, scoring aside the rest of the game. And he hasn't had that yet. He and he looks frustrated on the ice. Yeah. It's it's it looks obviously frustrated on the ice. Yeah, um, and if you remember at the first month and a half of last season when they were winning and winning and winning, you know Kaprizov and Fiala had not hit their stride yet at all. It was. Eric Snack, Felino, Hartman, that was really guiding this team on an offensive standpoint. You know, they were using Hartman as almost their guy that they could use to, you know, produce, get anybody to produce. Remember, I mean, the game in Seattle where he, I think, had three assists on all three goals of, uh, for Rem Pitlick. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, I got to think that he's going to start to play better. He um, went through a stretch last yeah. year where just about everything he threw at the net yeah. went in, and... That stretch, who knows if that comes again. You yeah. may never get another stretch like what do you, that. What do you think they're going to do about the number one center situation, though, if he doesn't start to play better? Like, uh, like you know, you can't – like Tyson Joes, to me, is not a number one center. Freddie Goudreau is certainly not our number one center. If they're not going to try Marco Rossi there, I mean, do you think they would ever – you know, Matt Boldy played some center in college. Do you think they would ever go that route? To- I can't. If you put all those guys on the same line mm-hmm. and now you have one line that – can be counted on to score. Right. I think you become an easy team to defend. I really think that eventually Hartman lands back in that spot and and that he'll be fine. I just think right now his game's off because I think he's feeling the frustration of not scoring in these first three games. Yeah. Um, Freddie, uh, you know, struggling offensively. I mean, he just – there's been three games in a row where he could have scored a huge goal and um, and didn't. And, and, you know, look, I, th- I think he is what he is, but I also think that a lot of times, you know, maybe Dean gets blinded by his, his um, you know, his respect level for the way that he plays um, in every other area of the puck, and he puts him in these offensive situations. And I just, you know, there are times where he just, um, if it was anybody else with that puck on the stick, it would be a tie game or, a, you know, a go-ahead goal or something like that. And I'm just interested to see on where that heads because Greenway is about to come back at the end of the month here. This team is going to about, if they don't have injuries coming up, they're going to get awfully crowded. Um, you know, are you just saying, are you just saying, all right, somebody else is going to have to move out because Freddie is guaranteed a spot in that top, top nine? Or, or what do you think? I think Freddie stays with Matt Boldy. And I think, I actually think his game has been fine. He just hasn't finished in these first three games. But that puts him on a list of about seven other guys. Yeah. And, but except that his game, I think, has been fine. I think the bigger question on that line is, can Sam Steele stay there? I think Gaudreau and Boldy will stay together. And then the question is, can Steele yeah. produce? He looked great in the preseason. He hasn't been a major factor, even though he has a goal in these first three games. I think that's, that's a question mark. I think when Greenway comes back, we all just assume that it's back to the grief line, and I think they've missed those guys with game-changing shifts in these first three games. Mm-hmm. They've tried it a few times, and they've been close, but as we've seen for years, you take any one of those three guys out, and the rest of the line just isn't quite the same. Yeah. 
They've been close, but they're not the same. Yeah. So if you put those guys back together, maybe Jost lands on that on that other wing well, right now I, that, that with Boldy and Goudreau, like, yeah. And yeah. and you and you start yeah. there because I really think, short of Mason Shaw, who I actually I thought was really good, very good Monday night. Prior to that, it looked to me like it would be a Joe Steele and then the three fourth line guys, five guys for four spots on a nightly basis, with Joe maybe being yep. a small step ahead of the other four. And I think that's still where you probably are. Jost would fit, I would guess, first with Boldy and Goudreau, and then the other four guys would rotate for three spots on the yeah, fourth line. I, I think the writing is on the wall that Marco Rossi is going to land back in Iowa here in the next little bit. Because if you go back to the grief line, and let's just assume Hartman goes back to center and Kaprizov and Zuccarello, well, Jost is probably going to left wing with Goudreau and Boldy. And we just saw that they obviously don't want Rossi on that fourth line. I think they want more of a stereotypical you know, a, a fourth line. You put Shaw there with maybe a steal and a Duham or Shaw there with a Durer and a Duham. Well, where does that yeah, leave Rossi? I, well, I don't, I don't know that I agree with that angle because I think they would love to have a productive Rossi on the fourth line because he can still be a power play guy. But he, he just brought – he was invisible for two games. And – I think you saw when Mason Shaw was on the ice, the way that line played with some more energy, more intensity, they were tougher, they were faster, they were harder on pucks, they defended better, and then they played more. Mm-hmm. When The first two games, it was it was a major step back for Dewar, Duhame, and Rossi as a, as a line, and that's why they didn't play at all. So I don't know that it's necessarily they want a fourth line that plays more like Mason Shaw plays compared to Marco Rossi. I just think they want a line that's willing to play a little harder, play a little faster, play a little more physically. Well, then Marco and, Rossi needs to be in Iowa. Like you either, I mean, again, if he is, you can't, you can't tell Marco Rossi that he needs to be a, a Brandon Duham. Uh, you know, so like. No, but he needs to play faster and well, he needs to play with more aggressiveness. You know, I think, uh, but I, my, my point is, is that if you're going to put Marco Rossi on the fourth line and you're going to be down 3 nothing in the first period every single night, you're not playing your fourth line most nights, so it's hard for Marco Rossi to gain any traction. Also, he's on a second power play unit that gets almost no minutes for a good reason because either the first unit scores or they're on the ice for a minute 40, um, two minutes. So he didn't see any power play time at all either. Right, so you either, I, to me, got to commit to putting Rossi on that Boldy line or put him back... Put him, but you can't put him on that line until he shows that he's going to play differently than he played the first two games. But again, uh, but again, I, I I don't think that he needs to show anything. He is Marco Rossi. This is the way he plays. You can't ask him to be a fourth line player. Um, you know, to me, you put him with skilled guys and let him see what you could do. Um, to skilled ask, guys still have to win puck battles. I, I I get it, but I mean, to me, there was a lot of issues in those games. That first, there was. I mean, to me, the fourth goal the other night that we're all ripping on Flurry for happens because three forwards that should all know better that are not named Marco Rossi had the weakest puck battle ever against the LA Kings. So, I mean, like, like to me, this is – I don't like that they're playing mind games right now with their prize first-round pick. Like, you know, either put him in a situation where he could succeed – or put him down in, in Iowa. But to take him out of the lineup after 21 shifts in two crappy games where the entire team played like crap and he wasn't able to gain traction to become Marco Rossi, I don't, I don't know how that is uh, at all beneficial to his eventual development. Yeah, I don't, I, we're going we're gonna to be on opposite sides of this one only because I think, I think every player's got to earn their spot up in the lineup. And he, he did nothing to earn more minutes in those two games. It's not to say that I think... It's not necessarily the – he wasn't the only culprit. Let's just say that. There were a whole bunch of guys who were soft in those games. But I thought that line, you could have picked any one yeah. of the three and taken them out of the lineup because that line was – it was – they were non-existent well, that's, other that's, than yeah. in a negative way. Yeah. So I don't think – the guy's 20. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying this isn't going to be handed to you. You've got to earn it. You've got to fight your way up the lineup. If you want to play more minutes than these guys, then play better when you're on the ice. And I think that's the message that was sent. I don't think it's any mind game. It's if you come out and if you play great, you're going to get more minutes. And 
Perfect I don't example. Know how, I don't know how fourth how, liners in those games could have done anything when you're down immediately. Mason Shaw against. did last night. I, I get it. Well, last night, trust me, if Marco Rossi played that game, he would have been looked better as well because the entire team looked like they should have won. But the I'm game. saying that line, they played differently. They and maybe it was an eye opener to all of them that Rossi wound up in the press box where. The, all three of them were more engaged. Yeah. And I, I think Rossi will be back in the lineup, and I think when he does, yeah. we might see a different player. Well, then, you I know don't what? think there's anything yeah. wrong with sending a message to a 20-year-old kid that you this is not an entitlement deal. You are not just going to be handed this spot. Right. You've got to earn that spot. Matt Boldy had to earn it. He looked great in training camp and still had to go to Iowa, and when he came back up, he had proven that he belonged there. Then when he jumped in... He didn't disappoint, and right from the start, he was terrific. So Put uh, next uh, to Kevin Fiala. But he also contributed yeah. and played and immediately made an impact. Remember yeah. the first night he played, he played with Rossi. They weren't playing with Fiala that first night, if I remember right. It was Boldy and Rossi and somebody else that was – that was playing together those first two games when they came up together yeah, in January. I don't think that I, I think Rossi was actually on the fourth line. Rossi and Boldy played together, I think, the first night. In Boston. But anyway, the point just being that when you if you command more ice time, you'll get it. And I don't think anybody in this line how quickly Dean took the guy who was his first line center all year last year and said, This isn't good enough and bumped him down in the lineup. I, I think the the message is clear to all these guys that Play better, you play more, and I don't know how he could have played better those first two games in his limited ice time. I mean, I I just don't. And and to me, twenty one shifts into your NHL career for a coach to come out and say that he needs a little breather in the press box that is that is that's an excuse that you say twenty games into a, a player you know maybe struggling or I've never heard it in game three of the season that a rookie needs to be taken out of lineup to get a press box view. Um, you know, I, I just think I just think that, that what they're doing is they're setting the table for eventually sending him down here because Greenway's coming back and they're not willing to put him in a top nine. Um, you know, I think uh, well, I, I know that is not the case. When the season started, I mean, it may happen now because he didn't play well. When the season started, they were fully expecting him to be here all year. They were not thinking that when Greenway comes back, he's going to be the guy that goes. They were expecting he was going to be here all year. They were going to. That's why he's on the second power play unit. And Dean has made it clear, look, this guy was a power play guy. He was drafted to be a power play guy. Even if he's on the fourth line, he's going to be on the power play. And they wouldn't do that if they – they didn't do that with Connor Dewar and Brandon Duhame. Those guys are here to be fourth line guys. And Marco and, Rossi is not a stereotypical fourth line. Then he should be with Boldy. Like they it's, it, admit that they expected to do in training camp that he didn't get one shift with. So, I, you know, that, that's Steel the thing. Because better. Well, Steele did played better in that role. Rossi played better with everybody on the team. He led the league in points. Right. So I'm, I'm saying, you know what? Before you want to make a move and say, we're sending you in Iowa or putting you in the press box because you've played, you know, 21 shifts on the fourth line, go and give him a chance with Boldy and let's see if he's actually Marco Rossi. But if you want him to be Mason Shaw on the fourth line, that to me yep, is not the I, right way to handle it. That isn't what so, they're saying. They're oh. not, they don't want him to be Mason Shaw. But he's got to compete like Mason Shaw competed, and he didn't compete in two games. I was just—it didn't surprise me at all, and I was—I was thinking I, I probably would have played him more than five shifts in game two, but I thought that the message they sent to him was, "You need to compete more." Period. We—he has more skill than Mason Shaw. He always will. More skill than Doer. More skill than Duhame. But you have to compete, and if you're going to play with guys that now are going to be expected to play a more significant role, you're going to play against better players. If you do that with a lesser compete level, it's going to be a disaster. So you have to earn that in terms of effort, and I don't think he earned it in those first two games. Um, but I did want to tell you about um, Aquarius Home Services, and I'm just proud to share that my friends at Aquarius Home Services have received the Minnesota Best Gold Award by the Minneapolis Star Tribune, my old stomping grounds. You voted them the top home services company in heating and cooling, plumbing, electrical, and water treatment systems. I've worked with Aquarius and know firsthand how they always put their customers first and work hard every day to earn the right to be recommended. That's why I recommend them every single week on this show. They treat you, your home, and time with respect. Congratulations to the entire team at Aquarius Home Services. And if you have any questions or concerns about your water, heating, cooling, plumbing, or electrical, they're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. And don't forget to mention that Russo sent you. And here's a word from Royal Credit Union. Take the checking account challenge from Royal Credit Union. 
Compare your checking account to Royal and see why it makes sense to switch. Royal's checking accounts have no hidden fees and lots of free features that make it easy to stay on top of your money. You can deposit checks with the Royal's mobile app, receive real-time notifications when transactions happen, and even freeze your debit card in seconds. See what other features you're missing out on and make the switch to a Royal checking account at rcu.org slash royalchallenge, insured by NCUA. When you're hosting a good dinner, you got to start with the best ingredients. And for that, I always go to Kowalski's. We just had a tremendous send-off dinner for Gianni and Zach, who are making the move to the East Coast, to Connecticut, the New York area, for a new step in their life. So we decided, let's have a send-off dinner. Went to the store and came back with their new, we've talked about them a couple times, these 40-day-aged USDA prime steaks. We went with the strips that night, and they never disappointed. Right now, Margo's throwing together a little stir-fry for us for dinner when the podcast is over. Stopped and picked up seafood and the ingredients for a stir-fry. No matter what you're making, you can count on Kowalski's. And in fact, the Kowalski's in my neighborhood here in Shoreview now just recently added a protein smoothie shake bar, which is outstanding. I tried one the other day and they're terrific. So if you're entertaining... Trust Kowalski's, the best ingredients create Let's the Let's move to meals, a different topic that it was actually coincidentally guys. brought up to us last week that we kind of both, you know, said, yeah, I could see it, but I don't think it's a huge problem. And now I'm starting to wonder if that guy is absolutely right, and that is the size of the blue line or the way that they play. I mean, the, the them being constantly on the wrong side of the puck, them constantly not get winning battles in front of the net, clearing guys from rebounds, that drew Dowdy goal that probably drew the ire of Dean Evison because of the Marco Rossi penalty on that all happens because after Fleury makes about three or four brilliant saves because Brodeen and Dumba didn't move anybody from in front of the net. And next go, it goes back to Dowdy and they scored. It's 3 nothing that game. Um, you know, how big of a concern is this for you? Mild, but I think it changes a little bit when John Merrill comes back. He's different when you put Merrill in yeah. and take Goligoski out in theory, and now you get bigger. Not that Merrill's a big bruiser, but he is a bigger body. And I also think it's, it's as much lack of strength as just, I didn't think there was a commitment to defend in the first two games. And it wasn't just defensemen, it was all across the ice. And I thought it was different. Like, there were battles last night. Yeah. And it felt like a team that was playing the game the way the Wild have always played. Where Which is what was so for, disappointing right, about the loss. You fought for every inch. And I, I still, some strength might be necessary, but I don't, I, I think you have to wait until Merrill comes back and see what your six looks like before you make that decision. Now Goligoski becomes your extra guy. I think he's, he'd be a terrific seventh NHL defenseman. And, and still, he's skating well. He's moving the puck just fine. When your structure is right, now you can defend with skating ability. You don't ha- you're not in your own zone the whole night. And I just think they've been so off with everything, with the way they've exited their zone, with the way they've covered in their own zone, with how they've protected the puck through the neutral zone. And that puts you in bad spots because you're constantly playing catch-up. You're constantly running around. I don't think Matt Dumba's game's been very good these first three. I, I just I think there's been a, a plethora of problems at the same time, and sometimes it makes something else look like a problem that maybe really isn't. I think let's see what or, happens but, uh, in know, the next couple yeah. games, and, and if that continues yeah. to be a problem, then I think you do have to address it. Rodine hasn't been very good either, no. and, and you know uh, every time I point that out, the people that then go after Dumba, you know, it's the reason why Brodeen suddenly can't play the game. I just laugh at, you know, again, the, the Dumba hate did not, it's not the reason why Brodeen's being pushed around and on the wrong side of pucks. I mean, that, that one goal, I'm trying to remember which one it was. Oh, it was the unbelievable Kako Kako goal, um, Capo Kako goal against uh, Minnesota on the opening night where Erickson Eck was chasing around the end. Where did that start? It was because Brodeen was pushed off the puck behind the net like a feather. He turned the puck over on the third goal that night. That's not all Matt Dumba making Brodeen uh, play like this. So they've, they've got to get those two going here. I like the way Middleton and Spurgeon looked last night. Uh, Middleton just seems to fit with Spurgeon. Middleton's been really good. Un- he's unfortunately, been took that, that bad penalty that really pissed Dean off in game one. But he's been really good all he's three games. Great. I think Spurgeon's been great in all three games. Yep. And it's the guy you can – I'll take Jonas Brodine on my side anytime, anywhere, but these three games have not been yeah. three of his best. And opening night, he was a minus four, a well-deserved minus four. I think it's the third time in 
685 career games that he had been a minus four. You just don't see nights like that. And he, he looked like he got caught out of position a few times. And I don't know, maybe it was too much success in the preseason where guys lost track of, of just how hard you have to play when the lights come on for real. And it felt like they were committed to that during the preseason, but maybe it was just because everybody else was coasting and the Wild were playing a little bit closer to regular season intensity hockey. I don't know. I would never say that winning is a bad thing, but they certainly looked like a team that wasn't ready on opening night. Yeah, and they uh, and it was a grind of a training camp, and I thought they had a really good camp, and it's, it's amazing the way that, you know, the Ranger game, you know, I, I know it sounds like an excuse, but they had played one game the Wild hadn't, and it just felt like the Wild were completely overwhelmed by the speed of that game. Plus, that Ranger, let's talk about the Rangers right now. That is That might be the most um, perfect team in the Eastern Conference. And what's scary about them now is it's not just Panarin, Kreider, Zibanejad, and, and Shesterkin show. I mean, Heedle, uh, Lafreniere, and Kako look like they are, they're scoring every night. They, three of them, that kid line looks like they are going to make – uh, just mincemeats out of every opponent every night. And then you have this blue line that is, you know, as well-balanced as there is in the NHL. Um, you know, I mean... The blue line like, is what really has emerged for yeah, them. And like, Keandre Miller looks like he's going to be a star. Ryan Lindgren, he might play like a pain in the ass, but he's exactly what the Wild would need. He's just mean on the ice. Um, Schneider's going to be a stud. Uh, you know, obviously, they got Truba. I mean, this is... Um, Forgetting that. Fox, Adam yeah, Fox. Adam Fox. Fox. I mean, you know, I mean, it is as good a blue line as there is in the They're league. terrific in that you start with the goaltender, and then you've got an explosive top six, a third line that's productive, and a fourth line that has an identity led by Ryan Reeves where, I mean, I think they're a handful. And that's why I was saying that there's a lot of nights Minnesota might have gotten away with how they played that night, not I against the New York team. Rangers. Yeah. And there's a lot of teams you could have been just that loose. Maybe they score four, don't score seven. But the Rangers made them pay for every mistake they made. And they're going to do that to a lot of teams this year. And the reason why I only brought up the size of the makeup of the blue line is after seeing guys like Ryan Lindgren, Josh Manson last night, um, you know, that, like Josh Manson, Ryan Lindgren, what would they look like in a wild uniform that just one player? Uh, somebody brought up today that, that – you know, to me that uh, they think Garen should go after Scott Mayfield for the Islanders, you know, big six four rugged defenseman that's always seems to be on the block. He's got some money, though, tied up and some term. Um, but th that that's just one area where I really think the Wild, you know, you know, even like Schuster, you put him in the lineup, he's adding size, but he's not a no. physical guy. He's more of a, you know, he's a guy that gets the puck up the ice, big stick, you know, position well, but he's not a bruiser by any stretch. Merrill, I don't feel, is a bruiser. That's just the one thing that I think this la that team lacks. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm not ready to make a major move back there either, but we'll see. I think Middleton's presence has really helped in that area, helped to solidify it. And when you look at Colorado's defense, you certainly don't look at them and think of big and rugged. They defend you more with their skating ability. Manson, well, I'll tell you what, McCarr, Manson's a strong player. Yeah, McCarr is not just an offensive no, no, dynamo. No, he, that guy. He's terrific man. in his own zone. But he, he, and he's physical. He plays with an he's edge. strong. Yeah. And he's not big by any stretch. Um, uh, Kalen Addison, Addison, speaking of not big, uh, you know, on the offensive side of the puck, he might have had a coming-of-age game yesterday. Uh, three assists, creates the breakaway for Erickson Eck. He adds a totally new dimension to that blue line, much more of a prototypical power play guy than Spurge um, on that number one unit. Um, what do you think of Addison's game, at least on the offensive side of the puck? Offensive so side's been great, and I don't think the defensive side's been terrible. It's been okay. Yeah. But except offensively, for that he's... Except for that second goal opening night. Yeah, oh I mean, it hasn't been great, but it's his offensive game has been electric. And the, the assist he made coming into the zone, the confidence with which he moved in the zone and then flips a backhand saucer pass mm -hmm. in, uh, perfectly on the tape for a goal, I thought it was a really confident play. And he's an example of what we're talking... He's a third-pair defenseman, but he's running the top power play unit, and I, I think it's a great example of just no matter where guys are in your lineup, when you get the extra attacker, now you put the guys in the right spots there, and maybe that becomes Addison's role. I think, I really think that it, to go back to your defensive question, it might just be time to really lean more heavily on the top two groups. They've been really working to keep the minutes balanced, and I, I think it's time where you go to guys like 
Brodine and Spurgeon, and it's time you guys can play 24 minutes, 25 minutes instead of 21, 22 every night. And you know, if your third pair is a little bit lacking, then maybe that's one way you shore up your defense. And now you minimize how many minutes Addison and Goligoski are playing against the other team's more dangerous players. I know you try to minimize it anyway, but maybe that's one way you minimize it and you don't look quite as small on the back end. I think those guys are capable of logging more minutes. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little bit more of that as we go forward. The schedule allows for it. You've got a lot of days off here early, chance to recover. I know you don't want to burn these guys out, but why not? Why not at least try that and see if you if you wind up defending some of the other teams a little bit better? Especially going on the road where you're going to need to play those guys. Um, it, it will be interesting to see. Um, Galagoski plays his 1,000th game on Thursday against the Vancouver Canucks. Actually, Joe Smith's at his house right now doing a really cool story that will be in Thursday's Athletic. Um, but uh, after he plays game 1,000, we might start to see – you know, I, I would think they might start Merrill in Iowa to get a conditioning stint. I don't think they would start Greener, um, but but maybe Merrill just because different position hasn't gotten a lot of you know a lot of um, obviously any games. Um, but maybe do we start to see Schuster at least get a little playing time? Uh, take Goligoski out on the road trip. I'd guess we'll see Merrill before Schuster. I I think we'll know a lot more after Wednesday's practice. I think we'll see some battle drills. I would guess. I think it'll be a tough physical practice. I think it's time to make sure it's known that this is the right way to play the game. And Dean's been talking about that. Those guys, Greenway and Merrill, both have been cleared for full contact, but they just haven't had full contact practices. I yeah. think you'll see one Wednesday, and it wouldn't shock me if we saw those guys. Montreal. That's my gut. Yeah, it wouldn't you know, shock me if we saw them sooner than yeah. that. But The only reason why I say Montreal is um, I think that that at least with Greenway, um, that there, uh, but I think Merrill too is, is that there is an actual date from the medical doctors that say medical doctors from the doctors that say uh, when they can come back, and just the fact that that Billy Guerin, um, in his opening press conference uh, in training camp, said five games into the year, um, you know, makes me think that they know that they looked at the schedule and said, you know, all right, they have two practices in Montreal, um, you know. Uh, Zero and three might change those dates. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, that absolutely. They need Greenway in the lineup. They do. Um, and he looks, I think I said on the last podcast, too, he looks in, like he's in uh, pretty unbelievable shape right now. And I, think, I know for a fact he's tired of, of getting bag skated. We have a microphone up here if you want to come up and ask questions or I'll drop another F-bomb and make a... Uh, Brandon, that Brandon can't work. be deleted. Yeah. No, keep the F-bomb in there. There's a guy named on Twitter that I want him to hear it just to get offended. So anyway, um, um, and leave that in too. Um, so anyway, uh, I'll tell you that story. He came to one of our podcasts once. That uh, that's where I met him. You remember that? So anyway, um, questions. Oh, I know. As hey, you know what? Congratulations to Andrew McCain. He got his corn fairy card. Oh, nice. uh, yeah, um, really excited for that's him. A, it's really huge. a smooth segue. Yeah, I know. Hey, but, but, but with McCain, um, you know, the Corn Ferry this year, they have uh, minimum purses of a million bucks. So, I mean, it's a, it's a definite change in his uh, lifestyle, and he's worked his butt off. So, friend of the show, Andrew McCain came, used to come to our Liffey podcast, Brandon, when we had like five people around a booth, uh, me and Suhan. So, uh, yep. you know, always, uh, always uh, rooting him on. Uh, so I got a question because I went to the meet and greet with Bill Guerin last night and asked him the question. The uh, cross-check to Erickson Eck in open, opening night, I asked Guerin, <clears throat> do you guys submit anything to the NHL about questionable calls? And lying. I wanted to get your opinion on that no call is five feet in front of the ref. And I was sitting in that end of the, of the arena, and it happened in, you know, so on Spurgeon or Erickson Eck? No, the one Erickson on Erickson Eck, where then shortly thereafter oh. he got cross-checked in the jaw that was called a penalty. Yeah, yeah the first one was not called, yeah. where he got hammered face yeah. first into yeah. the boards. Truba and yeah, the, the GMs don't. The GMs don't submit that stuff, but we've both been to the Department of Player Safety, and they watch it. They watch every one of those hits. They keep a, an Excel sheet from every game that has about seven color codes for plays that they thought should have been penalties that weren't, penal, uh, non-calls that they thought should have been penalties, 
potential concussions, all of that stuff. They've got it all listed. And I guarantee you that both of those hits were on there. I, I'm not sure what their evaluation of it was. I was actually mildly surprised. that I thought there might have been a fine assessed to the cross-check to the chin on the one that was called. I thought that was a vicious hit on Erickson. I, I, you know, I, hey, you know how much I respect those guys. We've sat in there with them a bunch of times. I just don't understand the, even the Kuznetsov one today. They, he, the guy takes a full baseball bat swing at Kyle Burroughs on Vancouver, and he gets a one-game suspension. Guy should be out of, out of the league for 10 games for that. It is, it is despicable. I don't understand what, you know, the fact that, that, you know, I mean, who was it on the wild that, was it like Bouchard or Spurgeon once that got suspended a couple games off face-off play? I mean, it's just, I, I, that inconsistency, how you can look at that tape on Kuznetsov and come up with one game makes no sense to me. And these are people that I have a lot of respect for. Yeah. And I, I had a chance to chat with George Peros out at our NHL meetings before the season. And they really they strive to be consistent, but they're they're incons- every It's a human thing. It's there isn't a that one I don't get. There isn't a black and white deal on it. And even from the official standpoint, the the play there was a play last night that eventually got a cross checking call made on McDermott. There were no fewer than nine cross checks in the back that and the referees standing four feet away. He watches the first eight and then finally calls it. Now, and he, like, reluctantly put up his arm, right. too. And McDermott argues as he's going to the box, yeah. and I'm sure he's saying, well, how, how would I possibly know the next one was going to be illegal? <laughs> and, yeah. But it, it just it defies logic to me sometimes what they're willing to watch and just dismiss it. Eric yeah. Sinek got called for roughing the other day for getting punched in the face while he was laying in the net. Ryan Lindgren. Uh, and. I, the referees will say sometimes, well, I'm taking one, I'm taking two, I'm taking two. Well, if one guy didn't do anything that warrants a penalty, just because he got punched doesn't mean it's time to take two to try to clean up, the, to, to put a stop to all this. You put a stop to it by taking the guy that delivers a punch only yeah. and say, all right, then we're going to give a power play. And I get it. There's the way things have been for years, but I don't understand why, and I don't understand why. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's the same thing last night. Chris Lee watches McCarr. I mean, McCarr got away with, like, murder last night. I mean, it was unbelievable the number of penalties that he took in the game that they didn't call. And, you know, he ran Mason Shaw, total interference at a minimum, and gets nothing. Um, and then last night, um, same thing. Uh, Chris Lee watches McCarr trip Erickson Eck. No call. So Erickson Eck is battling with him and is frustrated that there's no call, so he cross-checks the guy in the face. Lack of discipline needs to be called. Only happens because Chris Lee didn't call the first penalty. That was a clear tripping minor. And this is it just just freaking call the game. I don't get it. You know, I, um, you know, same thing. Like the other night on, um, you know, I mean, this one I actually found old school officiating, which I actually had no problem with. But Wes McCauley was giving Ryan Hartman a break by not calling him with the holding the stick penalty on the ice. So because he gave him a break for the holding stick penalty, you you know, sorry, payback's a snip, and he gets viciously right. cross checked by Velarde and. Boom. He let, they like that to go away. The fans obviously didn't see the sneaky holding of the stick by Hartman that led to it all, and they wanted the call. But because McCauley let the first one go, he let the second one go. That is what old school officials used to do all the time on battle, battles like that. Um, but the one to me in play um, with Erickson Eck last night with the cross check, it, it, it doesn't happen if Chris Lee just calls the penalty that should have been called. But for some reason... McCarr was one allowed to get one. didn't lead directly to the other, like yeah. the play you're talking about, yeah. where it's because he's holding on to his stick that yeah. he gets fr- yeah. This was eight seconds later, ten seconds yeah. later, after quite a battle in front of the net, I might Yeah, it, absolutely. Question. Yeah, uh, this is a little outside of the box, but I figure since it's uh, been 0-3 major bummer season, we should talk about something positive. Mm-hmm. The new uh, Not Weird Wild commercial with Moose is an absolute work of genius. Yeah. And is that the was, comes out of the water? Yeah. I was just, could you guys give us some insight on how do those things come about? Who's the creative behind that stuff? I mean, I mean how do you they, think our creative yeah. team compares well, to other? they have a very talented yeah. and, and um, expanding. Um, they, the last couple of years, they've added, you know, it feels like seven or eight men and women to that department. But they have a great social media and digital team. They have um, incredible, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, I, I, I 
don't know exactly what you would call their roles. I, I would say cameraman, but they got you know Chris Barrier, Brandon McCauley, Dustin team. Peterson. Um, the, you know they also do the Becoming Wild, and um, you know they they split times on going over to Europe and going to these players' homes. And that one again, I don't know who came up with the idea. But that's the cool thing also about this locker room is that they're willing to do absolutely anything, um, a lot of these players. and Our team, you know, that type of work compares to other teams around the well, league? Well, I think the Wild have gotten, uh, you know, near the tippy top. I, I think everything they come up with right now has been very, very smart, very, very funny, very, very entertaining. Even just their tweets in-game. Um, you know, they just have a very talented, talented team. And it's, um, you know, they've worked hard on it the last couple of years. Every time we look, so I, I sit on the, you know, next to Joe O'Donnell and Tom Reed on that side of the press box. And it's me, Joe Smith, Dame Zatani on here. And then to the left of us is, is all those people. They're, they're media relations people, three of them. Um, and then that entire uh, team of people. And, um, you know, Forty Leopold is part of that uh, um that department as well. And they, you know, it, it goes to with the Brian Carter podcast right. as so, well. well they that's just what are, I wanted to get yeah. to is so that the weird, not wild stuff happened kind of organically. They were watching different things these guys did when they didn't know the cameras were on, so to speak, stuff that happened when they came in the locker room after games. And so they started that way. And the guy who's the impetus behind that is actually the guy who does the podcast with Ryan Carter. King is his last name. Yeah, I don't John, know what his John, first name John, is. John, I believe. Uh, he's and, the hockey hair guy. And he was, a, he was just a, an independent guy. He wasn't associated with the Wild, but he came up with the idea to make this a commercial line. I hope I'm not giving him – I hope I'm giving him proper credit, but I'm fairly certain he was the impetus behind it. And he has then, an like an advertising as company. An, he's it, yeah. an advertiser by trade. So he started saying, well, let's take this and make it into a commercial. And then it's evolved into the, the big rig with Greenway, the, the Kaprizov Zuccarello one passing the coffee back and forth. I mean, these were all things that, that they took plays on watching those guys at the end of every skate throwing pucks back and forth to each other and said, what if we did this in the kitchen with coffee? He's the creative impetus behind that particular line. I don't know if he came up with this specific Moose promo, but it, they, they are really creative. They're, it's, it's a good part of the company. Yep, absolutely. Edina? So, so I had a quick question. I just wanted to get your thoughts on how uh, the league just disrespects Kirill, kind of. Uh, I don't know if, you got, if it's a big deal to you guys, but like, I kind of see how when I'm looking at like the predictions for the heart and stuff, it's mm. kind of the same guys like McKinnon. You got Kale McCarr, mm -hmm. uh, Matthews, McDavid, Dreisaitl. And the only superstar in the league that doesn't have superstar talent with them and is like always carrying this team isn't getting the love that he does deserve like nationally stuff. Yeah. So I don't know like I don't know what the hate is with them, but I'm totally thinking my guy wins the MVP this year. He's a he's a he's a well, 50 goal scorer in this league. If he's like, a 50 goal scorer and gets this team in the playoffs after an 0 3 start, he might be the most valuable player in the team. They're going to need him. Um, I think a lot of that comes like you, you know when you have Austin Matthews scoring 60 goals and you have the talent of McDavid and then as good as their teams are going to be, I think that's just always seems to be. Um, you know, the, the big market, I don't want to say bias, but I mean, you know, even me, I'm, I'm sure I probably picked uh, McDavid to win the, the heart this year. Um, I, I look at the Edmonton Oilers as a team on the rise. It's going to be a team that's going to, um, you know, uh, I, I thought McDavid last year when they went to the conference final and got humbled by the Colorado Avalanche. And then when I talked to him at the NHL media tour and he was going on and on about how he, they have a lot to learn and this is going to be their stepping stone. That's probably what was in my eyes when, when I, you know, in my ears when I, when I made my predictions. Um, and I think a lot of people are like that. Um, big markets, there is, there's always that, you know, that, that, that's just not that Edmonton's a big market, but you get what I mean. He's, you know, it's Connor McDavid. So I think that's part yeah, of it. But yeah. I don't think it's any – you can only pick one guy. I don't think it's any disrespect necessarily for Kirill. I think most people look at him now as He's a top a 5 to 10 player in the but league. But those guys you just mentioned are better yeah. <laughs> right now. Connor McDavid's better. And the way Connor McDavid played in the playoffs last year, starting with game six against the Kings – L.A. had him down 3-2 and was playing game six at home, and, from, and Connor McDavid took over the game. He was, and remember, Dreisaitl was playing on about a leg and a half at that point during the playoffs, and McDavid from there was, he single-handedly dismantled Calgary in the next round. He was just a different guy. Kaprizov's 
in the conversation, but those guys, Nathan McKinnon, is a, he's a tank. And there's a lot of guys in this league that if they were given one player to start a franchise, they'd take Kale McCarr. So you're talking about some of the absolute best, and I don't think it's any slight on Kaprizov or hate on Kaprizov to say he's not quite at those guys' level. Matthew scored 60. If Kirill gets to 60, people are going to be talking about him. Yeah. I read something interesting the other day, Anthony. According to an article in CNBC, 40% of home sellers surveyed at one point said the experience was so stressful it brought them to tears. I've been through that. Um, Selling and buying a home even outranked the stress of getting fired from work, planning a wedding, lots and lots of stuff. But if you were thinking about buying or selling a home soon, I've got another great share for you. There's now a free real estate hotline. Grab a pen. It's 612-888-8977. That's 612-888-8977. I know lots of folks are wondering about a real estate crash right now. Whatever questions you might have, the number one real estate team in Minnesota, the Chris Sundahl Real Estate Team, set this up to get your questions answered. Chris mentioned it's a part of the team's ongoing efforts to give back their time to the community. So should you bother buying right now? If you got a home, how do you keep your equity versus falling prices and inflation? Will the market crash? These are the biggest questions that you want answered for your family. The folks at KLRE made this free resource to make sure you have answers. The number again for this real estate hotline for Chris Lindahl is 612-888-8977. Call them for free. Again, 612-888-8977. And here's a word from Bosch Law Firm. Hey, hockey fans, Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call's always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. New great spot to watch games in the northern suburbs is Moe's at the Ice House. It's at Fogarty Arena. And it's connected. It overlooks the curling rink inside, but they've got great TV setups for you to watch a game. Whether you're up there for a youth tournament, you've got a high school game going on, it's a great place to duck inside. They've got a live stream video from the main arena at Fogarty. So if you're there watching a high school game, intermission, you can sneak over, grab something quick to eat, have a cocktail, go back, watch the rest of the game. It's also a spot where we're going to have the upcoming donkey hockey league fantasy draft they've got great banquet rooms and the menu's solid after this week's draft we'll give a review on the menu next week but check it out if you're up in the northern suburbs it's a great place to hang out and watch a game they'll have wild specials during wild games on tv in there great place and and if you are so inclined you can jump back on the curling rink and give that a shot um what do you think of the report today from uh, Board of Governors, meaning that the cap might go up $4 million to bucks next year? Would have been nice to know that probably about uh, July, maybe June 29th. It's not like this sneaks up on you. Yeah. I wouldn't think. The information is there. You would guess they would have been able to say, we think this might happen. Even if they didn't know for sure it yeah. was going to happen, a heads up would have been good to say, hey, if everything turns out to be where our early indicators tell us, the cap might go up this $4 million. Who knows what would have happened? Yeah, who knows who if knows? that saves Kevin Fiala here, but it would have been nice to know. Yeah, it um, might have changed. But there's yeah. other teams that probably would have been able to make different deals too. Mm-hmm. So you never know. It's hard to prognosticate. But you are talking about a team here that was really tight against the cap for the next couple of years. This is great news for teams like Minnesota, but it would have been great news and information to have a little while ago. Yeah, no doubt. So what do you think of Andrew McCain? I think it's great. The, I was going to ask you about the, and we've talked about a lot of this already, but you spend a lot more time taking a look at what other people are posting on social media. And when a team's 0-3, it's crazy how fast. the. I had a, a buddy of mine who screenshotted and sent me a few random tweets that and I I don't spend a lot of time reading them ever anyway, and I made a conscious effort to stay away from most of it here the last couple of days. 
But there are people who are... I bet, you know, Billy G right now wishes he wouldn't have given Dean an extension. I, maybe Billy G should be walking the plank. And I'm reading some of these. Uh, this is like an actual human that's writing, or at least in theory, it's a human that's writing it. And we're three games into an 82-game season, and we're going to announce now that it's time to... And a couple of them addressed me saying, I suppose you'll defend Billy G now, won't you? Yeah, and they were right. Yeah, they, they were right. I will defend him, without a doubt. <laughs> There's no chance that I'm going to walk in... Hey, you know what, Billy? I think it's time that maybe they run you out of town here. It's, it's just crazy how fast the yeah. over... And there's a part of you that wants to grab all these and hang on to them till April mm -hmm. and say, all right, well, now that there's a playoff game in St. Paul tonight, would, would you like to address what you said on October 17th when the team was 0-3 about that everybody should go? It, there's a reason why those clowns aren't general managers of National Hockey League teams. Yeah, the uh, man, I, I've been not even reading the, uh, the replies to tweets and stuff because a lot of it also, you know what's crazy? The other thing that's weird about social media now is that, you know, in theory, again, all these fans are rooting for the same team and yet they are brawling with each other on my Twitter account. It is the most vicious, vile things that they say to each other if they disagree with the little, you know, little things, like you and I just having a uh, really calm debate about Rossi. Right. Um, but you know, at least we were actually debating it, and then we moved on to uh, the defense um, and Andrew McCain. You know, these people are like just going to town on each other. And you know, Joe Smith uh, wrote a column yesterday about their goaltending, and he's like, I haven't read the comments yet. There are 210. That's like five of my lightning stories. I'm like, well, do yourself a favor. Don't. Don't read the comments because <laughs> you're only going to stress yourself out. Um, you know, and, and well, I haven't been around him enough to know if he has the stress level you do, but no, we'll he, see. Yeah, he's a different type of stress level. He definitely gets stressed. I've learned that in the little, last little bit. Um, question. I mean, you guys talked about it a little bit. By the way, don't be scared, but you're on camera right now. Oh, am I on camera? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My wife in the corner is yeah, videotaping. Sorry, I didn't want to call you out. <laughs> I was looking around. I, said, I don't Instead see any of, cameras. Instead, I'll call out the guy that's drinking the entire pitcher of beer over there. Um, <laughs> and that guy is drinking a Shirley Temple. So, uh, all right. There we go. Everybody feeling less? And there's the wild anthem singer. So, okay. Hey, I'm sure people are calling for his head, too, because, yeah. damn it, if yeah, we had a better job pumping these anthem, players up. I mean, really, the last thing these players hear before they drop the puck is the anthem. First periods have been terrible. Therefore, anthem singer should be out. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Um, so, you guys talked about a little bit with, with Rossi, the rationale given by Dean Evison to, to take him on the lineup you know, doesn't seem like maybe that's exactly what's going on behind the scenes. So maybe this is just a well, I, I think but probably what Anthony said is exactly what it is. And so I would rather than just say it instead of after the L.A. King giving some implausible B.S. about how the oh, well, the L.A. Kings weren't playing their fourth line. So we weren't playing ours. No, you know, I would have been better off. I would have like accepted more like, hey, we were getting our ass kicked. And when that happens, sometimes your fourth line gets lost. You know, like, yeah, that's that what I was asked more broadly, like how, yeah. you know, how, how often are they being 100% truthful about? Very rarely. Okay. <laughs> well, kind of I, here's, and I should preface, my comments were all just my guess. I haven't talked to Dean about this directly. They didn't practice today. We'll get a chance to chat with him a little bit tomorrow. I think Dean and most good coaches in the NHL are really careful about making sure they've talked to the player before they say anything to the media. That didn't happen with Rossi it, the other day. It, well, I don't know. <laughs> I, like, I, I went in to ask Rossi what they told him about not playing that night. But and that, like, was in the, that was in the morning. Yeah. I'm well, talking about when a coach stands up in front of the media after a game yeah. to the point you were making about what you wished he would have said about why. I think sometimes he wants to make sure he talks to Rossi first so the first Rossi reads of the fact that here's why you were benched isn't in a in a athletic article after the game. So I think a lot of times, and that's why you'll hear coaches say things like, "Well, I haven't watched the film yet, or I got to watch." To it's they're just protecting themselves so they have a chance to talk to the player before they talk to the media about it. And and I respect coaches that are willing to do that. In terms of the thing at the morning skate, I really do think there was a concern about Zuccarello, and when he left the skate early, I'm sure they went to Rossi and said, hey, you got to come off the ice. Yeah. We might need you tonight. And 
I have no idea if they had talked to him already about being scratched that night. They I'm didn't. assuming they did because they did the, not. Well, the fact that he was out there preparing to be bag skated yeah. would tell you otherwise. Well, what my point is is that he just sh- he showed up to the ring, saw he wasn't playing, but when I got him, he said nobody had told me why I wasn't playing. Right, um, and that so. I'm sure would have happened at yeah. some point during but the I day. Just, but, but again, I don't. And this is not just the Wild. I've I've covered this league now a long, long time, and I don't know why. And this is every. GM and coach and staff that I've ever had, the, the communication, like, again, when I said mind games of a 21-year-old, I just don't understand why your first thought that day for a prized prospect when you're taking him out of the lineup is, hey, Mark, I'll come in my office for a second. Instead of you go out there and your first thing is, I'm, all right, why am I not playing? What's going on here? Um, why am I only playing 20 shifts? And then uh, now you're getting bag skating, and then we're going to talk to you, maybe. Um, maybe. I, I, I just don't I, get that. I haven't talked to Dean about it. I don't know if you have, but usually that communication is, you might hear two different stories about how the communication takes place, yep. one from the player, one from the coach. To your original question, though, um, about how often we get the truth, uh, Bob Ryan, uh, the great Boston Globe columnist, uh, once uh, uh, I can't remember if he told me or if I was just in like an audience when he spoke to us at a national sports uh uh, NSMA, uh, I forget what, what the acronym stands for. I was at a, a conference in North Carolina and, um, and he was talking to us and he, had, he was giving us like tips. And I mean, this is only five years ago. So I've been a sports writer, you know, since, since I was like 15, but, it, but it's something that's always stayed in my mind is always assumed you're being lied to, but never take it personally, which of course I never not take it personally. Um, <laughs> uh, I I remember when I used to catch like Chuck Fletcher in a lie, I'd get so angry. Sorry, Brandon. Um, uh, so Leave it in, Brandon. Leave every it now in. and then I want to just drop an F-bomb to make sure Brandon's like got a little extra five minutes to, to edit this show tomorrow. Um, but I used to just just make me on fire. And then I'd go into this Bob Ryan witisms in in my notes thing. I got like a literally a list of Bob Ryan uh, uh, quotes and that's one of them. I'm like, all right, don't get, don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. Anyway, Edina. Back at it again. Yep. Uh, You just really want to win that thing in the back. (laughs) So uh, 14 years of watching this team and I never saw a deadly power play till right now, basically. You see stretches obviously of like last year, they would, be the best power play in the league for a stretch of games than the worst power play in the league. What took so long? I know it's Kellen yeah. Addison, but it just feels like every time they're on the ice for that power play, it's very dangerous. Yeah, it is dangerous. Addison's a part of it. Matt Boldy being a part of it is a part of it. There, I've th- there's two things that have really stood out to me. Number one is they've gained the zone better this year than yeah. they ever have in the past. And a lot of that... They stole from Colorado. They watched Colorado in the playoffs last year, watched how they used Nathan McKinnon coming in with speed. They're using Kaprizov that way. He enters the zone with speed, and it forces the defense to back off, and now you gain the zone. Second part is that their puck retrievals have been really good. They've gotten back. When the puck has gotten away from them, they've had a great ability so far this year to know where their outs are and then retrieve the pucks. And those are two things that I don't think they've ever been particularly good at. And I should add a third. Erickson X has been really good on face-offs on the power play. So they've been starting with the puck a lot more often than they used to. It used to be, it seemed like every single power play would start with a face-off loss and they'd have to go down and go 200 feet to, to get things set up. So I think, I yeah. think those three things have really been One key. other thing that jumped out to me last night is it feels like they have like 10 or 15 options now on a power play. I mean, there's, there's no set... Like, you know, in the past, you watch a wild stagnant power play, and you know where everybody is at at all times. You know, right right defenseman here, left defenseman here, you know, flanker here, bumper guy there. And last night, like, we're watching Zuccarello played every single position at the power play last night. He was at the bumper at once. In the, thir- in the third period, he was at the high left point, you know, uh, like in sort of like an umbrella type thing. It just feels like there's a lot more movement, a lot more trying to confuse the penalty kills, and it's obviously working, and maybe uh, the penalty kill should start practicing better. It's the wild power play and try to fix that because it's back down to, you know, sub 70%. It's 70%, but I go back to the schedule they've played so yeah. far. The mm-hmm. Rangers and the Avs, I would bet when this season's over, we'll be looking at those two among the top four in the league on the power play. Mm-hmm. And let's take a look at all these numbers when this road trip is over because you got the Canucks here on Thursday night, but then it's a road trip. Boston's off to a great start, but I don't think – I'd. 
I don't think very many people would look at them right now and say they're one of the top six teams in the league. And then it's Montreal and Ottawa, Detroit, and Chicago. I think Ottawa, Montreal, Detroit will all be better, but none of them are teams you'd look at and say they mm-hmm. are explosive yeah. up front, dominant offensively. Chicago might be the worst team in the league. So you've got a six-game stretch coming up here with one last game at home and then a five-game trip. And at that point, now evaluate some of the numbers. What does the team's goals against look like at that point? What does the penalty kill look like at that point? And because that'll be a more a fair cross-section of the league. You will have played a few of the elite teams. You'll have played a few of the bottom teams. And that's what your schedule is going to be by the time you're all said and done. Then let's evaluate. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's fair. Um, hopefully their save percentage goes up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll bet you right now, whatever you want to bet, the save percentage yeah. is higher when we get back from that trip than it is right now. Sure, hope so. It's, uh, it's been hard to watch. Any other questions before we wrap up the show? John? No? You want to sing for us? Um, a little trampled by turtles. Uh, well, thanks to all the sponsors. We'll do the raffle uh, when we're off the air here. Thanks to all our sponsors. Again, November 2nd at Split Rocks. We had an unbelievable crowd at Split Rocks a week ago uh, when we welcomed Joe Smith. Um, hopefully, everybody comes out there on November 2nd. And then our next uh, live shows, um, Brianne, are what, November 21st and 28th? Where and where? Tuttles and Tuttles, uh, November 21st and 28th at Tuttles, November 2nd at Split Rocks, and uh, then we'll have a, a show in December as well, but we're doing three shows in November. Thanks again to all our sponsors. Um, Brandon was so nice enough to leave in last week's bloopers. Appreciate that. Um, we're going to try to go through it this time um, succinctly. Actually, I should have you read it. You're the pro. You're the polished broadcaster. Well, you, you live your life yeah. in taglines. You, yeah, you do it. All right, tonight's show has been brought to you by Aquarius Home Services. Your local Your authorized, local authorized dealer for Connecticut Water Connecticut Treatments. Connecticut dealer. Yeah, there you see go. it. I did it right. There we go. By Royal Credit Union, by Kowalski's, by Chris Lindahl, by Bosch Law Firm, and by Moe's Ice House. So much coming out, there's nothing going in. I know that you feel like you're never going to Oh, but the world won't forgive a winner. So I've been a sports writer, you know, since since I was like 15.